Welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I am your host. I'm an intuitive human design reader, certified professional coach, and an instigator of joy. And I'm so excited you're here and so excited to share this week's conversation with you. This week, I talked to Amy Smith, who is a 1-3 projector and did not know that until like 20 minutes before we started recording. And she is so living her design. Amy E. Smith is a certified confidence coach, masterful speaker, and personal empowerment expert. Founder of thejoyjunkie.com, Amy uses her roles as coach, writer, podcaster, and speaker to move individuals to a place of radical personal empowerment and self-love. With acute focus on helping people find their voice, she is highly sought after for her uncommon style of irreverence, wisdom, and humor. You guys, she drops so many wisdom bombs in here. This episode is gold. I hope you enjoy it. And I say this in the middle of our conversation. This might be an episode that you need to listen to multiple times. Perhaps the first time you listen, the words don't have any place to land, but you feel the energy of it. And then maybe you come back again and you start making sense of the words and maybe you're even able to take notes. And then maybe you come back again and you're able to embody the wisdom and the lessons and the the wisdom from the stories that Amy's sharing. She talks about boundaries. We talk about people pleasing. We talk about fight, flight, freezing, and fawning. Listen in to hear what that means. This conversation was so much fun. Amy is such a wealth of knowledge and such an incredible wise, beautiful, grace-filled, magical human. And I am so grateful to know her and so excited to share this episode with you. I love you. Go forth and be awesome. Amy Smith, I'm so excited you're here. Yay! I've already had such a great time and we didn't even hit record yet. I know. So here we go. Now we get to share your wisdom with everyone else. And the first thing we've decided we're going to, our launch pad, our launch pad for today is people pleasing. Yes. What, what does that mean? What does it look like? How do we know if we're people pleasing? This is a tricky one because I think the moniker in the personal development space has sort of a connotation. So people, from what I from what I can deduce, most people think a people pleaser, when you think about it, is someone who perhaps their body posture is a little caved in. Uh, they let everybody walk on them. They're usually a little more demure and shy and don't speak up for themselves. So I find that there are a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily identify as a people pleaser. But when I talk about the real definition of what it is, at least according to me, <laughs> uh, that they kind of go, oh shit, I do think that there's something there. And so the way I define it is anytime you have an extreme investment in the opinions of others, so much so that you sacrifice who you are or you alter or tweak your own behavior in order to please, to make, to be more acceptable, to be approved of, whatever. So if we stand back and look at how often am I invested in the opinions of other people, 
there comes out all of our high achievers, all of our recovering perfectionists, all of our uh, approve, uh, approval junkies, you know, uh, and those those folks tend to not label themselves as a people pleaser. Now, I, I don't think semantics are all that important in this regard. I think it's more important to understand why we do that to begin with, and then what, what we can do about it to start changing that behavior. So that includes like choosing to wear a certain shirt because you know the person you're going to see that day loves that shirt. Yes. Yes. This is not, um, this is being cognizant of what you're wearing when you go walk your dogs, because what if the neighbors see you? Mm -hmm. That is a, I need to be seen in a very specific way by, an, by somebody other than myself. So I'm going to twist and contort and alter to be seen in a favorable light. We do it in our jobs all the time. We do it in relationships constantly. And I don't think it's always a bad thing. Like there's a very, there's a very fine line where it's also involved in intimate partnership. So for example, there are certain behavioral qualities or things that I do that genuinely light my husband up. I'm sure there's stuff like that for you and Peter, right? So if I'm doing that, I'm doing that from a come from or a motivation of intimacy in the relationship, not a come from of I'm going to do these things to garner love and now therefore I'm worthy or lovable, deserving of love. Mm. So in that, based on all of your descriptions, what's the opposite of people pleasing? I would say probably that that's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that before, but I would say living in alignment with your authentic self and understanding what the hell that even means. And just like the example that I highlighted just a second ago, it's a different answer in every moment. Like there are times when I go, oh, okay, that I was motivated by really wanting to be favorable in their eyes at, at the cost of authenticity, where I, I said something that wasn't really true, or I tweaked myself in a way that was presenting myself in, a, in a, a, a falsehood versus when you're motivated from a place of intimacy or connection or love or philanthropy or something. That, that's one place where it can get really sticky is when you are in a service industry where you love to give back and it can be a very fine line of when is this actually stealing my joy versus contributing to my joy, contributing to my fulfillment. That makes me think of another question. What's the difference between people pleasing and serving? Oh, that's a, that is a great, great question as well. I think that people pleasing ultimately is about, I need you to approve of me in order to anchor into my own value in order for me to have my own worthiness. Serving is I am doing these acts because this is the human that I want to be in this world. The come from, the motivation, the impetus is completely different. So for example, I have a somewhat of a tumultuous relationship with my mom. It's been repairing quite a bit, but there are times when I show up in service where I do not expect anything in return. It is that I am giving and I am, it's almost charitable where I'm giving to this relationship in a way where I, I'm not asking for anything versus when I will do something specifically to try to elicit a very dis, uh, distinct response from her where I'm like, please approve of me. Please think of what I'm doing is okay. Please give me positive affirmation. It's a very different 
starting point. Do you feel that difference in your body? <sighs> yes. Pretty much everything that happens for me is in my solar plexus. Like that, it, whether it is thrill and excitement, which we know is mirrors or mimics anxiety and, and overwhelm. So I, that's where it centers up a lot for me, but I know it's different for everybody. Now it's to the point, which is really interesting that we're talking about people pleasing, which I think one of the antidotes to this is, is truly speaking up for yourself, being vocal about things. And I know that for a lot of people, they'll start to feel certain things like in their throat or in their mouth, or they'll develop different ailments or, you know, where I need to speak up. And I know for me, the more I got involved into the work I do in a further understanding, it is now physically painful for me to not speak up mm -hmm. where I, I cannot deal with that feeling in my solar plexus. I'm like, Oh my God, I got to say something. I got to. And it wasn't always like that. It used to be, I could squash that down really well. Mm -hmm. So being a professional squasher is yeah. not necessarily <laughs> the best route. The That's right. Route. That's right. But I think, you know, something that really warrants some compassion here is understanding our primitive design and how you know, even if we look at something like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, one of our primary needs is, is a sense of belonging. And so for primitive man in days of old, if you did not belong to a group, that meant impending death. That meant you are very likely not going to survive. You need to, you need to belong. So now as we've evolved as a species, we still have this lizard brain that goes, if my in-laws don't approve of me, I might die. That's what's happening on that subconscious level. On the conscious level, we just go, oh, my husband's mom is impossible and I have to do this and I have to do that or, oh, I need her to like me. And I need... That's what we do on the conscious part of our mind. But what we don't realize is that there's a, a very real human driver saying it's unsafe to not be accepted. So I think if we can just understand that that's a part of our makeup, we can be a little bit more compassionate about, about our instincts and where, what we're doing. Cause I mean, we're always just trying to keep ourselves safe. That's really yeah. what we're trying to do always. And this might be a really weird analogy to use, but this is what I just thought of. Like, imagine you've got a pet lizard and that lizard gets really scared. You yeah. want to take care of it. You want to protect it. That's right. That's right. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting how, how the mind works, but essentially 12% of our mind, roughly 12%, the jury's out on that is our conscious faculty, which is, you know, logic, reason, rationale, and willpower, right? So that's why we can't willpower ourselves into loving ourselves or into anything else, really. 88% of the mind is the subconscious mind. And that houses beliefs, values, habits, and it also is a part of our primitive fight-flight response. So if there is, so basically the subconscious as we grow, it interprets events as either knowns or unknowns. So knowns become safe, unknowns become unsafe. So if you have developed where you have created it to be a known, 
to people please or to be a perfectionist, to be an overachiever, to control things. Even though you can see the ramifications, you can see that it's shitty, you can see that it's fucking you up in a lot of ways, your mind still registers it as safe. So you have to get to this point, and this is a lot of the work that I do, is creating continuity between the conscious and the subconscious and healing some of those subconscious issues in order to um, have cognitive resonance as opposed to dissonance. So anyway, we could go on and on about that. But the important thing is to know that whatever it is that you've adopted, whether it is that increased investment in what other people think or achieve, 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 perfectionist, perfectionist, we're doing that because the body says this is safe. Talking mad shit to yourself even about how you're not enough. The body knows that that neural pathway is well-worn. So we go, okay, this is, this is how I take care of myself. Until you get to this point where you go, I cannot continue this on anymore. I've yes. got to do something different. What was that point for you? Oh, Kelsey. Um, <laughs> so way back in 07. Uh, so my, I'll give you a bit of context. I grew up in a very conservative, born-again Christian family. Lots of religious dogma, lots of motivation through guilt and fear. And I was, by all accounts, the good kid. I'm sure that's shocking to you, knowing my human design, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and I, so I was the overachieving child, all of that stuff. My two younger brothers did, uh, had trouble with the law, did some jail time. They were not that kid. And... My mom, however, well, specifically my mom kind of grouped us all together as the three of us are not, quote, walking with the Lord, not ascribed to or subscribed rather to the religion that we were raised in. And it kind of came to a head in 07 when my father passed away. And prior to doing personal development, I was a makeup artist. And so I knew when my, my father passed that I wanted to do his makeup for his viewing. So dead dad makeup, everybody, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> right. My soul picked it, Kelsey. Mm-hmm, it did. My soul picked it. We're so looking at your chart after we record to find out where that is in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, uh, and I kind of felt like, I mean, I definitely regarded my grief, but I felt like I couldn't be like, dad, get your own fucking makeup artist. I just I was like, I have this skill set. I'm going to need to show up for that. So, but that was taxing to say the least. And then, you know, I spoke to the crowd of hundreds of people. My dad was a really incredible force. And so we get back home to my mom's house after the service. And she finds it the most opportune time to tell me that she feels as though my father and her had failed because all three of us were not walking with the Lord. And so here I am like, I feel like I just won at daughter today. First of all, I've been working since I was 14, put myself through college, got married, got out of the house young, have not been a burden on you. Yet I'm like grouped in with the delinquency of my brothers who I love to pieces and they're, they're far out of that now. But that was a very pivotal moment. The only thing I could kind of muster to say at that time was you probably shouldn't say that to a child right? Teaching and educating, <laughs> uh, projecting as you would say. And, um, and she said, well, that's just how I feel. And I don't think that standing up for yourself or giving voice to things is always an ultimatum. 
But in that situation, it very much was. It was, I was on a precipice of, I either make you happy or I make me happy. And if push comes to shove, I choose me. And up until that time, I was, oh my gosh, I would tell my husband when we would go see my family, I'd be like, okay, no liberal anything, no cussing, no drinking, no John Stewart, no Howard Stern, no South Park, no, you know, like, uh, like let's just play this role. And I, I think at that time, it, I really started to recognize the cost of that, that I was choosing to make her happy instead of honoring what my soul is here to do. Right. And that became that became the impetus. That was the genesis, the jumping off point. But it was fucking messy after that. I, because it was like the floodgates let loose and I became incredibly combative and adversarial. And so I want, now that we were going to talk about all this shit, I was going to fight. And it wasn't until many, many years later that I realized, oh shit, I can actually be assertive and use grace and kindness that I can say, I don't believe in the religion I was raised in and do it with the utmost kindness and compassion and grace and poise. And I think we get, we get really disillusioned sometimes because we think if I stand up for myself, if I'm vocal, if I establish boundaries, that must mean I'm a bitch. I have to be aggressive and rude and adversarial. And it's just not true. So that's now largely what I do is sort of the internal component of just believing that you're valuable, period, that your voice matters, that internal reckoning. And then the external piece of, okay, shit, now how do I communicate that to the world? What does that look like when my family wants me to come for Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever? And I don't want to drive five hours, you know? I feel like this is actually, this is such a good time to be having this conversation. Yeah. Because people are throwing around so much hate in the world right now. Yeah, for sure. So how, how do we do it with compassion and grace and love and, and total authenticity? Well, my, the first thing is to, to know that it's going to take an extreme amount of practice because you have to remember that you have created, you know, three decades, four or five decades of conditioning to be the opposite. And, you know, again, if we even acknowledge our primitive responses, whenever we feel threatened, even if it's verbally threatened by somebody else, that's going to kick in. Oh my gosh, I'm in danger. So what do we do? We fight, we flee, we freeze, or we fawn, which I don't know if you're familiar with this, but it's the iteration of fawning is basically making friends with the aggressor. That's people pleasing. It's a way in which we stay safe. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. You're, beam- you're beaming. You're beaming. Yes, because you just blew my mind. So <laughs> a fight, flight, freeze. We know all of that. Yes. Or a fun or people, please. Oh, yes. yes. I see this all the time. And thank you for giving me language for it. Well, they all have modern iterations, right? So we all have extreme scenarios where it's like, um, if, if I was going to be attacked by a mountain lion, you might fight it, you might freeze, you might flee, you might try to make friends with it, right? Um, and we can see that in severe situations. But if you are being yelled at by a family member, 
you, you're not afraid for your physical safety typically, right? But the modern iterations are if you would most likely flee, that usually becomes depression. If you would most likely fight and you cannot, it becomes anxiety. If you would most likely freeze and you can't really, it becomes procrastination. Mm. If you would likely fawn, it becomes people pleasing. So we have sort of these, well, no wonder you're fucking anxious, you know, no wonder you're depressed. You've been in your fear response. So now I can't even remember how I, <laughs> I got onto this one. Oh, what do we do about it? Is that yeah. where we went? Okay. So the, the first thing that I would say is start looking at d- taking an inventory of when do I not speak up? And I'll tell you, most of the time you can find this by what you chronically complain about. So it's likely if you are really pissed at mom and dad, Peter's getting an earful. Or if you're really pissed at Peter, then your bestie's getting an earful. Or, you know, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying, I'm sure you're way more evolved than that, Kelsey. But for most of us, we tell the wrong people that we're pissed. Right. It has to come out somehow. That's right. And if it doesn't, it will, I mean, we know it'll come out in physical ailments, addictions, all sorts of shit. So, but it will be released in some, some way. So if there is something like that, where you are chronically complaining about your boss at work or about a friend of yours, and you're also not taking any actions to remedy that with that person, that's usually the area in which you need to start being vocal. So, you know, when you were asking me like what, you know, how do we get to that place where we deliver it with grace and kindness? First of all, you have to get really clear about what it is that you want to say, what it is that you want to share with that person. I think right now, one of the most common things is that we're offended by things or we find certain viewpoints really problematic and we don't know what to do instead of cast blame and tell people why they're wrong. So in those situations, a very simple, um, I respect that that's your opinion, but I'm going to politely disagree, is a very easy way to speak up for yourself without becoming incredibly combative. Um, I am a huge advocate for having statements that you craft in your own language, that you stand in front of the mirror and you recite over and over and over again to deliver, you know, to have that, that practice ingrained in you. I think one of the other things that I sort of a mantra that I live under is do not allow your silence to make you a liar. If you are silent and people are saying things in your presence that you don't align with, but you don't give voice to it, you are being complicit. You're saying that that's acceptable to you. So that also doesn't mean that you have to open up a can of worms you know, it doesn't mean that you have to get into a full-blown conversation. You can simply say, you know what, I don't, I don't really want to get into that right now, but I wanted to be clear that I don't side with that opinion. I'll, I'll give you actually an anecdote about that, something that happened to me in my own life. Uh, years ago, I was doing community theater, and there was a, a gentleman who was, he showed me an image, a meme on his phone that was super disparaging to and, and highly offensive around a child with mental, mental and physical disabilities. And to me, that doesn't, that doesn't constitute humor or comedy. 
So in that moment, the easy thing to do would have been just like, ha ha, walk away. I would be allowing my silence to make me a liar. It's not acceptable to me. So, but I also didn't want to get into it. And so I said, you know what? I actually find that really offensive. I, I just appreciate it if you don't, don't share that with me in the future. All right. See you on stage. See you later. Like, peace out. But make no mistake, I'm not going to allow myself to be complicit with something like that. So the short, that's the long ass answer. The short answer is practice. <laughs> yeah, that was, had you been practicing a ton before that response? Yes. Because yeah, you I was, nailed that. Well, and I was actively teaching it too. You know, I've been doing this for 15 years. So, you know, it's, and, and also I, as I'm sure you're well aware, it's the shit we learn that we then become the teacher, right? It's like, yeah. you have to accomplish those things and learn your own lessons I'm seeing now, especially if I'm a one, three mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and it's really important. And then that's the, the vehicle through which you can teach. But it took, I mean, like I mentioned, there was a long period where I was very vo- vocal, but I was also mean and I was acerbic and biting. And there were a number of times when I had to go back to my mom because we all have our triggers, right? And most of them are our parents. And I would have to go back to her and say, I still feel very strongly about X, Y, or Z, but how I delivered that was unacceptable. And I did not, you did not deserve to be spoken to in that way, but I never took back my stance or my opinion. And I think that's one of the places we get stuck in is when we're feeling uncomfortable because one person wants one thing and you want the other, or you feel differently about things, we are so uncomfortable being uncomfortable that we go, how can I make this feel better? How can I, this is emotional intelligence. I can't sit with this uncomfortable feeling. So let me just acquiesce and make them happy with me. I'm going to take it all back. I'm going to say, I'm sorry for things I'm not really sorry for. And then it's cyclical. It keeps going on and on inside the relationship. So what I just realized is people pleasing another way of numbing. Uh, indirectly, I think you could say that it is definitely a behavioral tactic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I think some people would put it into a different category because it, you don't necessarily become numb. You switch emotions that you feel. So you go from feeling angsty and overwhelmed and upset and frustrated to give me that, that, hormone release of like, okay, now we're good. Now we're happy. Now we're this, now we're that. Right. So it's not as numbed, but it isn't, I would say it's definitely an escape tactic for Mm. sure. Yeah. Right. So it's falling in that flight. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So that, yeah. But we, again, knowing that we do all of that stuff because it's worked in the past. And then when we start to heighten our awareness, we go, oh, that works, but it also causes pain long-term. There's a cost to that. So one of the things that I tell people to do all the time is what I like to call declaring the do-over. So when you have those moments where maybe somebody did say something offensive in your, around you, or maybe you did say yes to a holiday dinner that you really didn't want to go to, You stop, you evaluate the situation and you go, okay, what do I want to say next time? You write it out and then you practice it. 
But I think having a handful of really great statements can be super helpful. For example, if you're ever caught off guard and someone's coming at you, you know, with an accusation or nobody likes to be confronted in that way. So having a blanket statement that you have on the ready of, wow, I really wasn't ready for that. I'm going to need to take a few minutes to wrap my head around that. I'll be right back. Advocating for yourself. Somebody asks you, saying no, like having a, when you need to say no, people are asking you to bake cookies for your kid's class or help, help me move or volunteer for this or whatever. Instead of just saying yes, say, how soon do you need to know? How soon do you need an answer? Having things in your arsenal so that you're not just stuck with uh, acquiescing, giving in, you know? And, when, when, yeah. yeah. And notice that you just said, how soon, how soon do you need to know? Not how soon do you need them? Right. But how soon do you need to know? Yes. Giving and then my, space fo- to answer. my follow-up to that is if they are like, you know, I need to know right now. If you need an answer right away, I'm going to have to politely decline. Boom. Done. Thank you so much for thinking of me. Always using gratitude. Thank you so much for thinking of me. If you need an answer right now, I'm going to have to politely decline, but so much luck to you. Truly hope you can understand whatever. Like, but I, I mean, I've said it so many times that it just like, you know, but it's, it's a new conditioning. One of the ways that we can change the beliefs in that subconscious mind that we've talked about, that 88% is through repetition. So the critical factor of the mind, which is our inner critic, it guards in between conscious and subconscious. So it's the thing that goes, that's stupid to say that affirmation of you're enough. Oh, it's stupid. Get it out of here. So we give up instead of doing it in, in, with enough force, with enough time. So that critical factor goes, fine, I'll let you drop down into the subconscious. I'll let you become the new belief. But it's also one of the most challenging things with... Um, with repetition of things you don't believe. We could go a whole different direction with that. But my point is, if you practice enough, it's just like riding a bike. It's just like learning a new language. It's anything like that. It's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing, except we can't see it. That's why it feels a little bit weird and clunky. But you practice those things enough times, you will shock yourself of what comes out of your mouth. And that's what my students say all the time. Like, I cannot believe what I just said to my ex-husband. I cannot believe what I just said to my mom. <laughs> I was like, who is this? <laughs> so as you were telling your story about going back to your mom and saying, I still stand for what I said, yeah. but I, I want to change my delivery. Yes. I just want like the bravery in that, oh. Amy. The bravery yes. in all of these statements, everything, all the words you've given us are pure gold. Oh, thanks. Thank you. And holy scary. Yes. To say that stuff. So how do you develop or allow the bravery to, to be the person who says things like that? So you can work two different directions. I personally like the direction of Remember when I was briefly telling you sort of the work I do is twofold. It's the internal piece, believing that you're enough, and then the external component of how do I communicate that with the world. You can go either direction. You can start by, it's kind of like a fake it till you believe it, where you're speaking up for yourself and you're doing those things until you're bolstered into this notion of I am enough. Most people don't work that direction. 
most people need to shift their identity with who they are before they can start feeling confident enough to speak on behalf of themselves. So that unfortunately is not something that we can like tidy up in a, in a podcast. In fact, that's what I do for like four months with people. And the reason why I work with people for so long is again, that notion of repetition, that if we do something over and over and over again, and we use hypnotic elements and stuff that help permeate the subconscious, then we can start rewiring sort of the neural pathways in the mind. But one of the hacks of that is, is that repetition. So one of the things that I would suggest for people, we have to start anchoring into this notion that we are enough. So no matter what the struggle is, whether it is, I hate my body, or um, I struggle with affluence in my relationship to wealth, or I'm not a good enough entrepreneur, or I'm not a good enough parent, or whatever your category of pain happens to be at the moment. For most of us, there is a deep-seated belief around worth, that I am not enough, or we have different semantics for it. The common ones I hear are, I'm not worthy, I'm not deserving, I'm not valuable, I don't matter, I'm not lovable. They're all the same thing. We just have different resonant words. So starting to shift that is starting to engage with self with the opposite uh, belief or what you want to believe. So instead of believing that you're not enough, you want to believe that you are enough, right? But if you start saying that to yourself, that critical factor of the mind, the inner critic is like, get the fuck out of here. You're useless. Oh, how cute you are playing with your personal development, right? Yep. It'll send- The inner critic becomes like a ninja. It's like, right. mm, not because in here. Like we were saying earlier, it's like, no, 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 no. It's not safe to believe in yourself. We don't know this. This is yeah. unknown. Abort mission. Exactly. So one of the easiest ways to start doing that is to use what I like to call progressive language. So instead of saying, I am enough and everything in your physiology is going, that's a bold-faced lie, is to use progressive language at the beginning of I'm exploring what it looks like to believe that I am enough, or I'm entertaining the idea that I could believe that I am enough, or even though this feels clunky, I'm committed to believing that I am enough. Something that's a gateway, because affirmations, that's one of the reasons why nobody sticks with them, is because they're an A to Z instead of an A to B. So starting off with something like that, where you're saying that to yourself in the mirror, or you have it as a screensaver, just starting to entertain this idea that there's another way to view yourself. That to me is the very beginning of what will fuel the ability to speak up for yourself. Mm, I love that because you're basically saying just the ability of seeing that there's another door, that's what's going to enable you to open that door and then walk through it. But if you don't even see there is another door, you, you can't get into the other area. Exactly. And it, it, to use another metaphor, it's like you're going to try on clothing and you... So here I am being like, try this on, try this on. And you're like, girl, I could never wear that. What are you talking about? So sometimes what that is, is you go in the dressing room and you just kind of stare at it and then you run out and you're like, I am not trying that on. And then you think about it for a couple of days and then you go back in and you, 
fine. Let me wear it. Let me try it. And then you're like, I don't know if I can pull this off. And then you put it back. And it takes a long time till you actually buy it and wear it all the damn time. And what that looks like non-metaphorically is maybe listening to this episode a few times. It's, it's going, ah, maybe there's something to that. Maybe it's listening to, you know, or doing a workshop on self-worth or something where you're going, ah, let me try that on. Because if we look at something that we can all understand around shifting of beliefs, if you look at somebody who has an extreme ingrained, very traumatic belief system of someone who's in a cult, let's say, in order for anyone to break out of such a rigid controlling belief system, the first thing they have to do is start questioning it. Any documentary, anything you've ever seen on anyone who survives a cult, it's that questioning that starts the change of beliefs that is not dissimilar to where we are right now. If you are locked into this belief that I am for sure not enough, I am for sure not deserving of love, the first thing you've got to do is start questioning it. So that's why it's like, hmm, maybe this crazy lady on the internet is, she, maybe she has something to say about this. Let me just look at it from afar, right? And just take your baby steps. That's one of the reasons why I love progressive language so much. Until you can say very enthusiastically, I am enough or I am worthy or whatever it is that you want to adopt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to just address what you said, like maybe listen to this episode a few times. You've been dropping so much wisdom. So maybe the first time you're listening to this episode, maybe you're just feeling the energy. Maybe you don't yeah. really know what Amy's saying, but it feels good. <laughs> and it feels like you're like, hmm, there's something there. And then you go back and you listen to the words, but they don't totally fall into your yep. body. Maybe they, maybe your head plays them. Then you go back and listen again. And then the wisdom starts falling into your body. Yes. It's okay to do that. In fact, it's recommended. I love that. I love that. Yes. It, the first thing I thought of when you said, maybe the first thing you just feel is energy. The descriptor of that is hope. Yeah. It's this idea that, oh shit, maybe I don't have to live this way for the rest of my life. And, you know, not to be like a massive science geek about it, but we know that the mind has neuroplasticity. And basically what that means is you absolutely can teach an old dog new tricks. It means no matter how far down the path of not enough, your brain has the ability to change into enoughness. It is possible. You are not uniquely broken. You are not uniquely flawed. It's not some secret sauce that only certain people know. It's possible for every human. So maybe that's what you needed to hear. Maybe that's the starting point of like, oh, this isn't just woo-woo. I just light some candles and like figure shit out. It's, no, my brain is actually wired for change. It's possible. Yes. And I always remind people that as you start to change your beliefs, you've been riding this smoothly paved highway and you're going to start taking the construction road and it's going to be bumpy (laughs) and rocky and there's going to be a whole lot of detours and it might take you a lot longer to get to your destination but you'll get there and eventually yes you'll pave that road you just gotta be patient and keep doing the work and then the other road that used to be smooth 
now grows over with foliage and shrubs and you can't even go down there anymore. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you've created this new paved path. And then here and there, somebody throws a boulder in the way and you have to work on that a little bit, but it's not nearly as challenging as it was before you created that road. Exactly. And every time someone throws that boulder in, it actually in the long road is going to make that road way better. That's right. Like, oh, right. When I paved over that boulder, it made that incline so much easier. Yes. I'm loving our metaphor right now. We we took that all the way. Let's write a book, (laughs) damn it. (laughs) So people pleasing. Yes. That's intertwined with boundaries. Yes. Oh my God. So let's just press play on Amy talks about boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) That is the interview question I want everyone to use with me (laughs) from now on. (laughs) Go boundaries, go. Um, So the way that I describe boundaries is a definitive choice and proclamation about what you will or will not tolerate going forward in your life. Most of the time, because of the nature of the work that I do, we're talking about boundaries with other people. So I'm not, I'm not really talking necessarily about internal boundaries or things like that, but I have sort of a three-step process of boundaries. The first is to decide. And the decision around the boundary has to be incredibly clear. So a lot of times what we'll say, like say you're taking that inventory of here's who I complain. It's always my mom or it's always my dad or my sibling. Here's who I complain about. Here's what I need to actually do. Here's what I need to say. A lot of times we'll come up with something that's incredibly vague. Like with my partner, oh, I need more romance or with my family. I need you to respect me more. What the fuck does that mean? They have, you have to be extremely linear and definitive about what you will and won't tolerate. So for example, I had a friend years ago who every time that she hung out with her in-laws or her in-laws would watch her children, her mother-in-law would say, we're going to go take them to get baptized. And we're going to teach them all of our religion. And of course, that was not okay with my friend. It was not what she was aligned with. And so she, if she would have decided on the boundary of, I need you to respect my religion, or I need you to respect my spirituality, how, what does that mean? But to say, here's what, the, here's what I'm deciding on. I want no conversations about Catholicism. I want no conversations about God or Jesus or baptism or anything related to that genre. My request is, is if the kids ask anything related to spirituality that you defer to us, right? But this is all preliminary, right? This is you deciding on a piece of paper. These are the boundaries. These are the actual uh, literal interpretations of the boundaries. So that's the first, decide on it. The second is to deliver. Now this one we could talk about forever. But the delivery is that you say exactly what you need to say and you make a very specific request. Now there's tons of ways that we could talk about how to enter into these conversations. That, that's a whole nother podcast. But preparing yourself and, and practicing it ahead of time, going into the conversation, expressing gratitude. Thank you so much for taking a second to talk to me. There's been some things on my mind. And I really appreciate so much 
that you caretake for our kids so much. It really means the world to us. And there's been some stuff that's been on my mind that you probably would have no idea if I wasn't really forthright with you. So as you know, we, we are not as aligned with you on a religious, um, on a religious belief system. And we really truly respect your faith and we're asking for the same in return that, uh, so here's our request. Our request is that you don't bump up all the things that we said earlier. And I'm sure that that could be really hard to hear. And it, please know my inten our intention is not to, you can always state, state an intention, what it is or what it's not. Our intention is not to cause a rift in the family. Our intention is only to raise the kids in the way that feels the most aligned to us truly hope you can respect that, the delivery, right? Again, we could do a whole nother podcast just on that one. The well, final- Hold on. Oh, okay. I love the, the piece you added that, I mean, the whole thing was beautiful, but that piece about like, here are some things on my mind that you probably don't have any idea about in, unless I'm telling you about it. Yes. Yes. Most That's of us can't read each other's minds. That's right. That, that is the, usually the biggest problem is that we have not told, we have not given the other person the opportunity to be what we need. We've just been mad at them for not being what we need. You have to give them the opportunity or we've yelled and screamed at them to be what we need instead of asking thoughtfully and kind. We, you can't be heard like that. No one, no one gets yelled and screamed at and they go, you know what? Thanks for bringing that up. I'm really going to push my, I'm really going to work on that. Yeah. It's not how energy works. So embodying the energy that you want to get back. If you are vulnerable, it's highly likely you're going to elicit vulnerability. Not always is not a guarantee, but it's far more likely if you're soft, you're going to elicit softness. Third and final step, so we've got decide on it, deliver it. Final step, which is probably the <laughs> one of the hardest pieces is enforcing, enforcing the boundary. Because most of the time, if you have people in your life who are used to the people-pleasing version of you, they are going to test the fuck out of the boundary. They're going to go, Kelsey doesn't really mean it. Or, oh, Amy took this personal development thing and now she, she's all boundaried up. She doesn't mean it, right? She'll, it's a phase, whatever. And so they will test it. And so the, and one of the things, especially if you're not overtly vocal, it takes like a sheer act of God, <laughs> pun very much intended, for you to actually get the boundary out. So the idea that you have to say it again is like, oh my God. But what you have to understand is that each and every time you speak up for yourself, you are anchoring into that subconscious belief that you matter, that you are enough. When you let people overstep you, uh, silence you over and over and over again, that's a subconscious message that your voice does not matter. So it's imperative for your self-worth that you find your voice and use it. So an enforcement might sound like, hey, hey, mother-in-law. Uh, so I was talking to Hayden or whatever your millennial kid's name is. <laughs> or Zijin. Um, 
Hayden was telling me that a conversation came up the other day around confession. And, you know, I, I just want to underline again that I would really, really appreciate it if you didn't speak to him about any matters relating to religion. It's incredibly important to us that we're the ones who express our viewpoints about faith, spirituality, and religion. So my request again is that you don't blah, blah, blah. And you underline it again. You're basically saying, hey, I meant it, but you're saying it kindly. And then internally, you have to decide when's the ultimatum point? When's the repercussion point? How many times are you willing to re-say that boundary before you make some changes of we're not going to allow you to watch the kids anymore, or we're not coming over anymore, or I'm going to hang up the phone or whatever it might be for you. And looking at and that's different for every situation and every person. Um, so that's, that's the short, shortened version of Boundaries 101. All right, let's talk about, let's, I want to shift that to, there are a lot of entrepreneurs I hear from yeah. who will, they're having, they're running a group course. Yeah. And so they're having a group call at eight o'clock at night. Yes. And you ask them, do you want to be doing that with your, on your Wednesday night? The answer is never yes. It is always no. Um, or they're taking like five clients in a row to start off their day. Yep. Talk about boundaries for entrepreneurs for a second, please. Ooh. Yes. Okay. Well, one of the things, and I think you've even talked about this on the show, about all of the experts telling you, well, you got to niche down and you got to do this and you got to have this funnel and this blah, blah, blah. Yeah, fuck that. And sometimes, sometimes it's really helpful. You know, I feel the same way about business coaches the way I do about any other practitioner. You have to be aligned with them. Mm-hmm. You have to be aligned with your acupuncturist. You have to be, you know, you have to feel like this is the person I want to learn from. But what we know from neurolinguistic programming or NLP is whoever has the stronger frame will absorb the lesser frame, the weaker frame. That means if somebody is incredibly aggressive, outspoken, using definitive language, like this is the only way and you have to and you should. I know you're a big fan of shoulds. Yeah, huge. We get, exactly. Unless you have an equally robust frame, you're going to get eaten alive. So then we go, oh, especially as a newbie, oh my gosh, well, I must do the funnel this way, or I have to niche out like this, or oh, blah, 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 or I've got to take any and every client I can get my hands on. So part of it, I think, is doing the spiritual work of what is too emotionally expensive, you know, which is a term I use all the time we were talking about earlier that, and I loved that you used it. There are things that we equate the financial success, the business success, we go, oh, I need to have this many clients or I need to have this much affluence, but we realize it is, it's a cost to us spiritually. So this one, I don't necessarily think that there are any hard and fast rules. I think it's about an acknowledgement of what you can or cannot carry at a given time. And I know you talked about this on your, your chat with Jessica about emotional eating and how I have found, and I'm not sure if you have as well, that now that we've been in quarantine, everybody's issues have smacked them upside the face. Like, okay, now that you stopped learning how to bake bread from scratch, now you're going to have to deal with all your past traumas, bitch. Sit down. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
<laughs> so, um, I think that what, what that's also been is, you know, speaking from myself anecdotally, I already carry so much emotionally. And then now that we are in a situation that is a low level trauma, it's not, for some people, it's very acute and I don't want to diminish that. But for many of us, we're walking around with our lives changed like crazy. We're walking into the grocery store and it feels dystopian. We are changing how we're teaching our children or, you know, our financial life is upheaving. We are dealing with our partner being in the house that's never happened before. And now we're like, so we're dealing with all of this change, all of this grief, all of this low level trauma, which creates, uh, gives us sort of like an emotional bankruptcy where it just keeps taking all of our energy. And then we beat ourselves up of like, why can't I take on this extra client? Why can't I do this extra summit? Why can't I do this extra engagement? Well, because you're not acknowledging what's happening for you emotionally and energetically. And if you are an overachiever, recovering perfectionist, you don't like this fucking answer. You don't like it, myself very much included, because we want to get back to our efficiency and our level before. We don't want to boundary up for a specific instance or season of our life. So my answer is almost always the same in this is you have to come back to what does or doesn't feel right for you. And sometimes you make a mistake about that. Sometimes you get to full-blown burnout before you realize you have to make a change. That is myself. I know you're not surprised because I'm a one three. And, and you're a projector. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> I have to get to full-blown burnout before I figure it out. But I don't think that my situation is uncommon. You know, I think a lot of us, we get, I think disproportionately for women too, we run ourselves ragged and then go, oh, yeah, boundaries though. Oh, and I think acknowledging how it changes in a season like this, in a season of quarantine or in a season where you're a new parent or when you're a season of um, starting a business or ending a business, acknowledging that your currency, your energy currency is going to ebb and flow. So I don't know if I answered the question or not. (laughs) I don't know if you did either. I don't remember the question. I was... (laughs) It was boundaries for entrepreneurs, I think. It was. I think you did a fantastic job. Oh, thank you. That was amazing. And I invent that usually I'm 100% present, but there was a part of my brain that was like, can we make, now that you're done baking bread, it's time to start dealing with your emotional shit, the title of this episode. So. Ooh, yes. Good. Yes. (laughs) baking bread from scratch. I know. I saw a funny meme about that. That was like, it was, it was talking about how, Hey, let's deal with racial injustice. Hey, let's deal with your childhood trauma. And all of us are like, la, 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 you know, (laughs) fingers in our ears. Like I'm going to learn how to bake bread from scratch. (laughs) And now it's been long enough that we're like, Oh no, we need to look at all of this with Mm -hmm. eyes wide open. And, and to your point earlier about the bravery in speaking up or the bravery in that, I think the biggest piece of that is vulnerability. And we've been taught by society that vulnerability equals weakness. And to me, and even to that point that you made about it being brave, everybody and their mother can put up walls. Everybody and their mother can hold people at an arm's length. 
it takes a fierce act of courage and bravery to be seen, to actually be vulnerable. That's strength, my friend. That is not weakness. That is warrior status. Yes, it is. Yeah. So let's just wrap it up on that. Cool. You are a gem. I am. This episode has just been incredible. Thank you so much for bringing so much magic to the Find Your Awesome podcast. I've had so much fun. Truly. I I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Yeah. And I think we might do that, but now we got to wrap up the actual recording. So if people want to learn more about you, listen to your podcast, work with you, where can they find you? So my little corner of the internet is over at thejoyjunkie.com. Junkie is J-U-N-K-I-E. And that's kind of the hub of all the free shit. Uh, I have a free workshop podcast, eBooks, all sorts of stuff over there. I would just say, jump in, listen to the podcast. I do that with my, my soulmate, my, my hubster. He is my, (laughs) he's my sidekick, which is so fun. He likes to say he's the voice of the people. So he tries to keep me from being too woo. And yeah, so I would just say, get your hands on one of those freebies, connect over there. I think it's, I'm pretty, it's pretty clear if I'm either for you or I'm not. So yeah. Enjoy. And there's so much wisdom in that. One last question. Yes. If you had a billboard and you could put it anywhere in the world, but somehow everybody can see it. Okay. What would it say? It would say you are responsible for your intention, not your reception. Mm. And the, the meaning behind that is you are responsible for who you are being. You are responsible for how you show up. You are responsible for your energetic current. You are not responsible for how people receive that. That's all across the board. You can't control it. You are responsible for your intention, not your reception. I love that. And it reminds me of a post-it note we had in our camper that says, what I say is about me, what you hear is about you. Oh, yes. I love it. All right, Amy. You are magical. You're an amazing human. And I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. Oh, likewise. Thanks, Kelsey. You guys, how was it? I cannot wait to hear your takeaways from this episode. So please reach out to me, reach out to Amy. We really want to hear how you are playing with these ideas and how you are embodying this wisdom, how you are using these tools to really, truly step in to your authentic empowerment. Please, if this episode resonated with you, please share it everywhere. And if you've got a moment, please head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a five-star rating and a review. As always, if you want to learn more about me and about human design, head to kelseyabbott.com. You can play around with the play with me tab and find ways to book a human design reading, an individual human design reading, a partner human design reading, human design play date, all the things with me. Everything you need is on there. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say human design, I got you covered on that too. Again, under the play with me tab, you'll find a new to human design. Start here. All right, you guys. You are amazing, you are wonderful, you are magical, and I love you. Go forth and be awesome.